Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hi, everyone. We're Carol and David, and we are so excited to welcome you to our podcast. Are you ready to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny? Well, you've come to the right place because that's what the sexy lifestyle is all about. And you know, David and I are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be. We sure are. And you know, we love talking and learning about everything related to sex and sexuality, sexual health, and of course, sexual pleasure. And we love diving deep into the naughty, the taboo, and the unknown. And we hope our discussions open up your dialogue about great sex because great sex matters and we all deserve it. Yeah, and uh, as most of you probably know, we're here at the beautiful Hedonism 2 Resort on the Grill Beach in Jamaica. We've been here since January 15th. And, uh, you know, we've been hanging out safely with all our friends. Everybody here has to test negative before they get here. The sun and the beach are amazing and great for the soul. And really, we're enjoying it right here on the beach. Naked. Naked, yes, that's our best way to be. So, are you over 50 and looking for tips on how to resolve boredom in the bedroom? Do you want to find out how to boost your sexual self-esteem in a culture that idolizes youth? Okay. On today's show, we're going to explore expectations for 50-plus-year-old bodies and learn how to reignite desire with a few simple recommendations that will help you make sex a habit so that you can live happier and healthier. What about hornier? Oh, and of course hornier. All right. For sure. Well, we have an amazing guest that we're going to bring on in just a second. But first, we want to tell you all about our top waterproof blanket because great sex is messy sex and nobody wants to sleep in that wet spot. So if you're fed up with having to change your sheets every time you have sex, then you need one of our top waterproof blankets. It's 100% waterproof and leak proof and it guarantees to keep your bed and mattress dry, no matter how wet it gets. From messy massage oils or silicone lubes to all sorts of sexy wetness, just throw it in the washer and dryer and it comes out looking like brand new. You don't have to leave your house to get one. Simply and safely go to Amazon and order yours today. Search Top Waterproof Blanket. That's T-O-P, Waterproof Blanket. Great sex starts now. It sure does, and so does today's show. You know we are Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle, and we are so excited to welcome today's special guest, direct from London, England. Mm -hmm. Tracy Cox is one of the world's most famous sex experts and writers on sex and relationships. She's been writing, researching, and talking about sex for the past 30 years, and has toured the world as an international sex, body language, and relationship expert. Tracy Cox, welcome to The Sexy Lifestyle, direct from Notting Hill in England, and thanks for taking time out of your busy day for being with us here today. My pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. So, Tracy, how has COVID affected your life and even your sex life in the past year? It's been quite disastrous, really, <laughs> I have to say, because the first part of the lockdown, because we've been in lockdown here for about a year, we were in Australia, which was lovely because we got to stay in Australia for five months. But we were living with my mum in a small house, so that wasn't too conducive to great sex. And then we came back here and then, you know, went wild for, for a bit to make up for it all. And then, I mean, the thing about lockdown is it's so boring. Oh, my God, it's just so... And the thing is, you know, sex, in the beginning, everybody was like, wow, we can have sex in the afternoon. We can do it at any time of day. We don't have kids with us. Well, we've got a stepdaughter, but she's 19. And um, But then it's it's like it's just almost too available. It's, it, it's like if you had to step over a pile of diamonds every time you left the room, you, you know, they'd cease to be precious to you anymore. So, But the thing is, I, I think all couples feel the same. I mean, pretty much all couples are having a bit of a sex slump. So um, nothing to worry about, and it's all going to end soon. Thank God. Yes, absolutely. Anyway. Have you tried any new toys during the pandemic to break up that boredom? Uh, the funny thing is, is that um, you, I do two sex toy ranges with um, Love Honey. And when I was in Australia, I was like, oh, my God, I, don't, I haven't got a vibrator. Can you send me a box of goodies? Um, and they did send me a box of goodies, but it was sort of, it was still in my mum's house. <laughs> so we went away one weekend and had a great weekend in Noosa where we did try them all out. But then um, then when I come back here, I've got all the toys here. But um, God, the, the thing, it's a bit like 
if you're an author, you stop reading books, except I don't stop reading books. But sex stories, I'm, I'm always having to test them out. Or my poor old husband, he says he feels like an animal half the time. <laughs> and um, so we've actually used them less, I think, since I've been using the range because we're, we're just constantly – it feels like work to me. And right. I think often – segue into do you reckon this needs more vibration or do you really like this this really <laughs> please that is funny that's funny sex how would you live without sex stories if i get to the gates of heaven and there's no vibrators up there i'm not going in oh. definitely not <laughs> <laughs> and, and Brits have such a reputation of being a conservative society. Why is that? Because I don't think that's really true. But Sexually. Why? Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't entirely know whether that is true. Um, Brits are funny because, you know, because I speak on – the way I judge a country is often how far they'll let me go on morning television. And, I mean, I've been on morning TV in Britain and been talking about female ejaculation and all sorts of topics like that. Um, in America – I got really sort of, I mean, I find America a little bit more prudish about sex than England, particularly talking about it. It was very much like, actually, can you use the words main course instead of intercourse and entree for ball play? And I was like, no, I can't. <laughs> it was just ridiculous. But I think when it comes, and I think when it comes to actually getting up to king, I think the Brits are great, you know, rate really highly. So I don't know whether they are that conservative about sex. Well, I know. I think we America conservative. Uh, I, I would agree with you, but I think the reputation is still there for the Brits, and I guess we have to stop that, right? M maybe it's up Ooh. to you to change that reputation. No, let, you know, you know what? Let the we, world know. We've been around the world. We've been to Cap Dag. We've been to cruises, and there's been many Brits who are there, and they are the most wild swingers that we've exactly. seen in the world. Well, apparently, um, swinging is, is up. I mean, obviously not at the moment because of COVID, but I think it's like how many millions? It's a couple of million people in the UK, which is a small country, swing regularly. So it's definitely, definitely. Oh, yeah, I'm not surprised to hear yeah. that they're on their cruise ship. So, so why, don't you tell, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you became a world-renowned sex educator and writer? Um, it's hard to know where to start, but I, I grew up with a big sister who was four years older than me who used to work for family planning. And she um, was, you know, when other kids were reading like beauty magazines and stuff, I was I was being, you know, having pamphlets under my door of how to put on a condom and how to recognize herpes and all those sort of things. And the kids at my school very quickly realized that I had a big sister who was open to answering questions about sex. So I'd, I'd get all these kids saying, God, what does this mean? Does it mean I'm pregnant? Do you think I've got an STI? And I'd trot home, you know, dutifully to my sister Deb and then come back with the, with, the, um, with the answer. And in the end, I knew the answer because I'd been asked it so many times. So I was kind of like Otis from sex education, except not getting any money, I might add. So from that, and then after, what, what happened after that was when I was about 15, my dad um, confessed that he had been having an affair for the last 10 years. So he left our um, family and went to live with this woman who is now his, his wife. So we obviously did love her as well. But to me, it became this, wow, look at the difference between sex and love and how powerful they are and how powerful sex is. So I reckon that was in my head when I went to university because I always wanted to be a writer but I also was massively interested in psychology and sex. So I ended up doing a degree in both. And then in the end, um, which I think was the right way around, I became a writer first and foremost, and then just made sex my specialty topic. Um, from there, I worked for Cosmo. Then I wrote a book called Hot Sex, which sold worldwide. And next thing, I was living in Australia at that point, but next thing I'm touring the world and people are calling me a sexpert, which no one had been called that before. And my agent was like, I'm not sure. My mum was like, well, why are you calling me up? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so that's how it all started off. And now 17 books later and two product lines and having made loads of TV shows and radio shows about it, that's what I am. Very wow. cool. So we are big fans of sex education on Netflix. We love the characters. They are yeah. all so well developed. And, you know, it, do you identify as, as the mum on that show? Well, that's the funny thing, isn't it? I don't know. My, my stepdaughter says, oh, my God, she's you. You're so embarrassing and all this sort of stuff. But I probably identify more with the kid ah. and the mother. 
Okay. Time because that was me at school, and I, I do feel sorry for him. I, when are they going to bring back third series? And I next think year. soon, I heard. Yeah, yeah, next year. Yes, it's confirmed to come back. Yeah. Because that is, shows like that are very good, I think, as sex education, mm-hmm. because they break down the myths. And I thought some of the themes that they had and some of the issues that they brought up were really ha- handled so well. Yeah, me yeah. Too. I mean, we we talk about that show and we encourage parents and kids to watch it together. And especially the show where um, one of her classmates was um, a, um, attacked on the bus and the guy ejaculated on her and she wouldn't talk about it. And they walked through how to work through that shame. That was such a powerful couple of episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? I loved that, that episode. That was fantastic. Mm-hmm. All of them are very good, actually. So I imagine with your sister and giving you these answers, you you actually grew up in an open-minded household. Um, I did. I didn't actually have sex until I was 16. Um, but my mum and my dad, I don't know whether they were having great sex, to be honest. I'm pretty sure they weren't. But we were very open in that we all talked about sex. There were no taboos. Um, nakedness was a normal thing. You know, we didn't, didn't flaunt it. We weren't like running around like Scandinavians, but assuming <laughs> Scandinavians run around like that. But, but it wasn't ever a big deal. And I guess because uh, I'd always been ha- having this conversation with my sister, it wasn't, a, I never felt embarrassed talking about sex, probably because of that, because that started, that, those conversations about sex started when I was so young. But certainly my parents, you know, like you think they are incredibly proud of me and there's never been one hint of, darling, wouldn't it be nice if you'd gone into gardening or politics? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> A little bit less risque. So, so I mean, you you mentioned before you've been out there, you've written so many books, but very few people have had the opportunity like you have to have been on Oprah's show. How was that, and what did you guys talk about? Well, listen, listen, the Oprah story is slightly disappointing because I was filming it. I did a show here called We'd Like to Meet, which is a dating show, and then it got in the US and I was filming in New York and I had this horrendous schedule of filming in the UK and the US and it was tight and Oprah rang up twice not once but twice the Oprah show and said can you come on the Oprah show because my book Super Sex had had done really really well and I had to say no and the first time I was like how can I say no to not going on Oprah this is just ridiculous so in the end what I did after saying the second time, they said, are you serious? You, you're saying no to coming on Oprah. I said, I literally, I would be breaking my contracts. There was, we tried everything to get me in the studio. So instead, I did a little video for the show. And she um, played that, which nowadays, I think, God, I can't believe she actually did that. Because I would have said, sod off and get someone else. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and even, so I didn't get any of the kudos as soon as meeting her but I did get to be on the show and I tell you what I woke up the next morning and looked at my book um, rating on Amazon and it was just it had just sailed straight to number one and was extraordinary the power she had to move merchandise and I was still so I, I can say I was on Oprah because I was but I didn't actually sit in the seat and sit next to Oprah which of course would have been fantastic given the interview she's just done would have been even more amazing to boast about yeah absolutely and, yeah, and what was the video you did about? I mean, obviously it was about your book, but what, what did you speak about? Oh, on the video? Yeah. It was um, um, sex tips on my super hottest sizzling super sex tips or something. And I had to, um, it, you know, film. It was quite funny. It was quite well done, actually. We did quite a nice job of it, but um, but still not the same as being on the sofa with her. Oh, well. Yeah, no, <laughs> but it's very close. So I, uh, it's still yeah. very awesome. And, of course, it helped your sales and it helped your notoriety and was totally successful. Now, one of the things that you talk about a lot is how that you have to be happy and healthy in order to have great sex. And as you know, that's our happy, healthy, horny line and the great sex matters. They all kind of coincide. So tell us your point of view on being happy and healthy so that you can have great sex. I think they all feed each other, really, don't they? Because... I mean, I don't honestly know, I mean, I suppose you can have great sex if you're in a really awful relationship, that's that sort of um, roller coaster, and one minute it's off and the next minute it's on and there's lots of anger because I can see how that could fuel, Passion. you know, sort of passionate sex, yeah. But I think for the average person, I don't know where too many people want to be in those sort of relationships once you get past 25, they lose their appeal rapidly. So I think that, you know, you've got to live life. You've got to be happy and enthusiastic. If you're not, if you're not headedness in, in all sorts of areas, how the hell are you going to be great in bed? I always think you can pick what somebody's going to be like in bed before you even get anywhere near them, the way they eat, the way they 
you know, live life the way they speak, the way they embrace things, what their sense of humor is. And all those qualities, you know, mean that somebody's going to be a good lover. And if you're a good lover and you have great sex, you're happier and you're healthier. It all, it all feeds together, I think. You no. see, a sense of humor makes me a good lover. Okay, baby, sure. I, I Too bad me, you don't have a sense of humor. Huh, <laughs> you threw me under the bus again. That's okay, sweetie pie. We're all learning, right? I'm getting hurt more and more. I mean, I do have a good sense of humor. At least I think so. Yeah. Now, you because you became a writer so young, and were you like always, always interested in writing about sex, or did you start somewhere else first? Um, I was writing stories when I was about 12, um, just creative stories. I've always loved writing. Um, so no, it didn't start with sex. It just started with writing. But I've always been obsessed with relationships and sex. So if it wasn't sex, it was about relationships and, and feelings, meaning of life type stuff. And then it just sort of progressed. Well, I ended up working at Cosmo, which is all about sex. So that sort of, I, think, I suppose it naturally segued into people saying, well, do you want to write the sex column? And all that, even though I was working in production. And um, so I wrote that and, and I did love writing about sex and no one else was doing it, it well. And I think what people weren't doing is when I started writing about sex, you had sleazy type of sex books, you know, like how to pick up a woman and sort of one of those silly things. Or you had the very medical, you know, Dr. Miriam Stoppard, which nothing wrong with that. They were great, but they were very, you know, respectable and nobody used any words other than intimacy and things like that. And no one was doing practical stuff. Like the stuff that I, we, you know, I wrote a thing for Cosmo about how to give a great um, hand job or oral sex, how to give great oral sex, step by step, put your hand here, do this with your tongue, you know, which is commonplace now, but back then no one had really done it. So, and it just went wild and all the Cosmos around the world bought it. So then I thought, well, Christ, I've got like 500 books about sex and no, not one person has done this style of sex, but with a bit of a sense of humor that's practical, uses the terms that everybody else uses, you know, rather than, you know, just formal terms or sleazy terms, somewhere in between. And um, so I wrote the first book. And the other question I have is that while you're writing about sex, you must be learning so much each time. Do you do actual research with doctors and then make it light for the average Joe? Or what's your process? So what I do is I take the research. I have certain, you know, obviously there's certain places that do that you know are going to always have some great research, like the universities, places like that. I have certain universities and sources and sex journals and stuff like that that I know are going to come up with something good. And then you have like the, the sex researchers that actually write books and then you, you sort of read through those. So I'll, I'll look at the current research. I'll usually buy whatever books are around at the time that are really making new statements about sex. Then I do sometimes like for this book, I interviewed hundreds and hundreds of women um, to get their personal experiences. And then it all sort of, and then I look at, the, yes, how can I take this and bring it down to the average person in the bedroom and what practical things can I get from this? Because a lot of the sex research is, is great, but you're like, okay, well, that's really interesting, but how does that affect me? And how can I make, you know, how can I use that information to make it even better for me in the bedroom? So I kind of think it's, that's my job is to be the journalist in between the sex researcher and the couple and to sort of put it in a way that is, you know, easy to, to do as well. It's not too much high effort. And you do a great job of it because um, all the writings that you do when you're out in all the major publications, um, it's, it's a simple read. It's a two or three minute focused on one thing. We've been following you for years. And, you know, you're talking about research. Uh, a few months ago, we had Dr. Justin Laymiller on our show from the Kinsey Institute, who's a big researcher in the field of sexuality. And he did a huge one on fantasies. He interviewed 4,000 people. And yeah, then he, yeah, took, he, he took all, this, all the stuff that he, he gathered and simplified the whole thing and found out that obviously the most, the biggest fantasy out there was threesomes. And then he said, well, this is how you have a threesome, it's point by point, step by step, and it's, it's so simple. And the first step to having a threesome is talking to your partner about it. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm -hmm. He is amazing. I mean, I would have to say, I'm actually doing his podcast tomorrow. Oh, cool. Enough. Yeah, the sex and psychology one. So, um, but yes, he's he is one of the best researchers, and he, and I'm quite nervous about tomorrow because he's going to say, "Well, where's your footnotes and where are your <laughs> He's such, oh, a, no, he's he's such so a chill guy. He's, he's so amazing. Chill. Don't be yeah. nervous at all. What, what was interesting yeah. is on all our shows, um, when we get to Great Sex Matters, we like talking to our guests about their sex life. And he was yeah. very shy. Right. He was yeah. very. Um, we um, let him off the hook. We let him because, off the yeah. hook a little bit. He told us a couple <laughs> of secrets, but uh, we didn't probe too much. 
So this- I put little stories in my in my books because whenever I uh, the, the publishers would go, yeah, I really like that chapter. Can you put in a Tracy story? And people used to say to me, my poor boyfriends. But but I do you know what I used to do? I used to get like I get a little bit out of this what, real life encounters. I probably get three real life encounters and roll them into one and make a story. So I never really, you know, dob anyone in or anything like that or show anyone up or, or big them up. But um, so they, all the stories would be real, but a little bit's taken from each one. And I've, I've sat there with boyfriends and watched them read the bit that's actually about them. And they're going, well, an interesting that story. And I'm thinking, it's about you. But you don't. <laughs> that, that's funny. Oh, my God, we're having so much fun here. Just hang on for a second. We're going to take a quick shout out to one of our show sponsors. We're going to be right back after this. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David. We're talking with sex educator and writer Tracy Cox. Stay right there. So, you know, people have been asking us, what's changed after four years of doing the podcast? Well, a lot has. But to be honest, the orgasm gap still remains a challenge for many couples. You know what I'm talking about. Men tend to finish before their female partners. You've heard us talk about Promescent for years. Their urologist-developed FDA-compliant delay spray can help men last up to 64% longer without loss of sensation. And it's great because Promescent is quickly absorbed into the penis and it doesn't transfer to your partner. And speaking of your partner, I think we can all agree that sometimes women, even when alone, still have challenges around reaching orgasm. So now, Promescent has created a female arousal gel. I love it. It's a clitoral stimulant that she can rub into her clitoris for increased pleasure and a lot more satisfaction during pretty much any type of sexual activity that you can think of. Absolutely. So now they've got promescent delay spray for him and arousal gel for her. So basically, they're closing the orgasm gap on both sides. And remember to check out their amazing lubes as well. Yeah, trust us. Try these amazing products and you'll thank us later. Seriously, just write to us at ask at carolandavid.com and tell us how it went. So try Promescent today. Just go to the website www.promescent.com. That's P-R-O-M-E-S-C-E-N-T dot com. Yeah, and now, and especially for a limited time, if you enter Sexy Lifestyle 15, you'll get 15% off every order. And remember, tell your friends too, that's Sexy Lifestyle 15 for 15% off. All right, this is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and we're having a great show with sex educator and world-renowned author Tracy Cox. And it's time to get into one of her books, her latest book, which is called Great Sex Starts at 50, Age-Proof Your Libido and Transform Your Sex Life. So let's start by talking about why you wrote this specific book. I think that there's, there was a, definitely a selfish reason in there because... I'd written 16 other books about sex and, and I was just thinking, oh my God, what else can I say really now? Especially because publishers like general text. They don't really like niche publications. So, you know, having to write another, you know, general sex book was not going to happen. And then I went through menopause quite early at about 48. Then I turned 50 and then over 50 and suddenly I just thought, oh, my God, this I really didn't think it was going to affect me, all this stuff, post-50 stuff, but it did. And I thought, and I struggled. And I thought, God, if I'm struggling after 30 years of writing about sex, how was everybody else doing out there? So I figured it was time. And it was a really good time, actually, because we didn't used to talk about any of this, let alone, you know, menopause, sex after a certain age. It was all very taboo. And the menopause conversation had restarted. But no one had really got into, you know, sex post-50 other than Joan Price, who I love, who's an American writer. But she tends to do a little bit older oh, than that, doesn't she? Like She's been on our show. Yes. Yeah, she, I, I really admire her. So I just thought, right, let's, let's do this book and hopefully fix myself in the meantime, which I did. And when I did the book, I just, I've never had, and I've written a lot of books and a lot of publicity, I've never had so much interest you know, publicity-wise, in a book. because So I feel like I've really hit the right time and the right um, demographic, I guess. And also, and probably it came out really well because it was happening to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, and it's crazy. You, you should have called us because um, we've been swingers for 13 years and menopause hit Carol really hard in her 50s and uh, I'll let her talk about what it's like having a low libido and going through menopause while you're a swinger. 
Well, that's, of course, one thing, but I just wanted to say before I talk to you about that is that the word menopause is really an ageist-type word. It makes you feel old. You don't want to admit that you've gone through menopause, but yet it's so part of our life, and we are living so much longer now, and I'm glad people are writing about it. I'm really happy that you're writing books about what happens after Mm -hmm. menopause. There is a life after menopause. There is sex after menopause, and I'm glad that everyone's talking about it, uh, especially when you're writing books like this, but as for us, when we were swingers wanting, you know, to meet couples and have sex and have a lot of fun time with them, uh, as I was going through my struggles with menopause, which are the ups and downs, which we're going to talk about in a minute with you and your book, but the thing is, when my when my libido was so low, I didn't want to be fucking other man. I wanted to save that for my man. He's so patient and waiting for me, you know, to feel good and want to have sex with him that I couldn't share that with somebody else. I wanted to save it for him. So there was a couple of years where if we did swinging once or twice that year, that was a lot. And uh, yeah. otherwise... I was making sure that my man was happy, and that was the most important thing for me at the time. But as a couple, we definitely struggled for a couple of years, not only as swingers, but as um, you know, just a couple wanting to have better sex. And what happened is we became amazing communicators because we needed to talk about this because I have a huge sex drive. I'm always horny. And, um, you know, you can't spend two years being disappointed all the time. You have to talk about it and understand where your partner's coming from. And there's conversations that we have where, you know, Carol just was telling me how she felt. And I just have to say thank you for sharing. And it wasn't about what my opinion was. It was just she wanted to be listened to. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But did you, I mean, as women are going through menopause, men are often going through their own issues with with, um, erection difficulties and and low desire because, testosterone drops in men as well. Did you experience any of that? Or no, actually, or as Sheely um, had a low libido, I got even hornier. I don't think that's true. I, <laughs> I think men like to say that, but I don't think that's true. Yeah. No, definitely as people age, and I know, David, your erection is not absolutely the same as it was when you were in your 40s, so uh, with time, and maybe he doesn't come two or three times a day as maybe you used to in the past, and once or twice is still a but really, really But my desire really good- to want to have sex is, is even greater now after 50 than it was my whole life. Life. Okay, I would say your desire, just, but yeah, I don't know if your erections are exactly the same. Well, sometimes yes. You know, that's when I want to take it under the bus again. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm just <laughs> talking real Jeez. here. You know, my AWC works very well, and for those of you out there who haven't heard, AWC is average white cock. Right, exactly. He's got a beautiful <laughs> average white cock. Should be talking about this because because writing that chapter in the book about that, you know. When you know how to have sex without a without an erection, how to have hot sex without an erection is a really important thing. And I, and I found it so sad that all the men I spoke to would would not even entertain the thought that you could have sex without a hard penis. It was like for men, I think sex is put my penis in something. So they, it was a psychological catastrophe, and they had never they didn't want to talk about it to me, but they did. I forced them, but they were embarrassed about it. And it was some sort of threatening thing of their masculinity for me to even dare to suggest that their penis might be aging along with the rest of them. So the more people like you, David, can talk about it openly and say, yeah, shit, it happens. Of course it happens. It's going to happen to everybody. The better it will be for men, I think. And I think one of the issues that um, I have when um, I'm not necessarily as hard as I used to be is um, I need to feel wanted. I need to feel that whoever I'm with, whether it's swinging or with Carol, that they're in the moment. And there were times um, uh, when Carol was going through menopause um, at the same time her mom had died, that she just wasn't there. And, you know, um, you you need to feel wanted. And um, it was okay. You know, sometimes if I didn't have a super hard erection, we masturbated, mutual masturbation. We took out toys. And it was still fine. Feels nice, right? Uh, Carol would be reading a book and I would just lick her pussy. It's it's not about penetration. It's not about orgasms. It's about connection. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. connecting exactly. and and yeah. having some pleasure and feeling wanted and needed and like sex you were saying. toys were amazing mm-hmm. you know they they added um some options into the okay you need to be hard you need to be wet we need to fuck instead we'd watch tv take out a couple of couples toys and just play with each other and that was good mm-hmm. perfect perfect so you have a chapter you have a chapter in your book called the motherfucker that is menopause i love it <laughs> <laughs> So tell us a little bit about how you describe what you went through. Um, well, for me, it was more a case of I didn't, I didn't sort of 
I didn't go off sex. I just forgot about sex, which for me was unheard of because I had a really high libido, which I think was actually, looking back, it was a disguise. My libido kept way higher than everybody else's because I kept changing relationships. Now I've been in the same relationship for eight years. It's, a, it's different. It's, it's much harder to keep your libido high when you're in a long-term relationship without other people added in. So I don't know whether that had given it an artificial boost. But also, then I was working from home, writing about sex, getting used to masturbating a couple of times a day just for something to do, you know. And um, and then all of a sudden, I remember just sitting there this one day just thinking, God, I haven't, I haven't masturbated for ages, like about a month. And I just had forgotten about sex. And it was... And then when I started having sex again, because I was going through a period where I wasn't having sex with anybody apart from myself, and um, and then all of a sudden the painful sex bit kicked in because I hadn't been having sex. And so you have this perfect storm where, you know, you're not having sex, so your, your vagina is not as elastic because that's the best thing you can do during menopause is to keep having sex. And, and also there are loads of solutions in the book to use it or lose it helps, but you also need other solutions. So I hadn't been having sex. Then when I started having sex, it was painful, which made me feel even less like sex. And then the cycle begins, doesn't it? So, and I still have issues with painful sex. So, um, so for us, it's it's a matter of you know having to think outside the square and maybe not do as much penetration and all that sort of stuff, which has worked out fine. I mean, most all you know, all but twenty percent of women have their orgasms from clitoral stimulation anyway. So this is why the name of the book came about. Great sex can start at fifty because all these changes, like you said, you start talking. You have to talk. You know, you move away maybe from sex being, you know, his penis is the star and you move into a different style of sex, which can be even better. Yeah. And those days that David has a super hard erection, I just take advantage. Like when he's there playing with himself or it just happens sometimes, you know, we have all day together because we spend our whole days together. When that really mm-hmm. super hard erection, like that morning wood or whatever it might be happens, you just take advantage. It might not come back for another day or so. So you jump on it when you can. I that's sometimes for sure. get them at four in the morning. I know, but you can't wake me up, baby. <laughs> <laughs> you can't wake me up. That's not going to happen. But I do take yeah. advantage when it's there. So that's something. Yeah. And I don't know what's going through his head that, oh, this day or for whatever, whatever reason, this moment, he's got a super hard erection. But I don't care. It doesn't matter to me why. I just jump on it because yeah. it's there. Just being a guy. Yeah. And that's what you've got to do, I think, post in the second part of your life. And and I think is you've got to just change the way you think about sex, change the way you think sex looks. And and I love the way you're describing your sex life because it's it doesn't have a beginning, a middle, and an end. It's not that we must do foreplay before sex and then we have intercourse and then it must stop after that because that's what happens. You know, somebody um said to me, you know, is is sex is intercourse? I said, Well, it's not intercourse. It could be you know, having a really, could be something as simple as having a really sexy snog before mm-hmm. your, your partner leaves to, for the work for the work or whatever. And she said, oh, that doesn't count. That's not going to count. It's like, well, you said, what do you mean count? What does count mean anyway? Mm-hmm. I think of sex as anything that's sexual or erotic or it could be anything, anything at all. Yeah. You know, you mentioned earlier about um, how the majority of women have orgasms through oral stimulation. And we just did a show, clitoral stimulations, and we just did a show where we brought up the point how some people don't consider foreplay sex. Right. And sometimes foreplay is the best sex you have. And foreplay is the sex you right. have. Yes, I know. People are crazy, aren't they? Yeah. Where does this all stem from? And how can't we, you know, I've been writing about this for 30 years. You guys have been doing your podcast for ages. Why don't people, why can't they accept it? I don't know what it is. Well, unfortunately, I think porn has a, um, a, a not a great influence on how we're supposed to have sex. Uh, porn, we because it's male produced, it's male driven, and we and all it's know it's the male it's, viewer. It's, it's entertainment, and right. it's not educational. But as kids grow up, they look at it and say, "Well, that's the way I'm supposed to have sex." So, um, you know, sex only means when I put my cock in her pussy and, and I come. And and then yeah, I shoot either in her, on her, on her face, on her belly, or what? Like that's what they think sex yeah, is, yeah. and that's kind of unfortunate that they're learning that. There's some great female porn being produced at the moment, but I think it's females who are watching it and not the men, yeah. which is kind of yeah. unfortunately. And, and hopefully it grows, the, but the big commercial 99% of the porn out there is male-driven. Um, but yeah, if you can find femme porn somewhere and uh, look for it and search it, then yes, absolutely, we should be promoting femme mm-hmm. porn because it's a little bit more, I would, get, I would call real sex as opposed yeah. to produced, a produced video. More That's my feeling. So another, another piece in your book, you we're writing about, but I don't feel sexy. 
what, what, what came up there? Body image is such a massive thing for women. I mean, I'm sure it is for men as well, but for women, it's it's a massive, massive thing of any age at all. And when I was doing all these interviews with women, it, the, the women divided very distinctly into two camps. There were women who said, okay, I'm over 50 and my body doesn't look like it did when I was 20, but hey, I think I'm sexy. Loads of men desire me, you know, so what's the problem? It doesn't worry me at all. Those women who embraced it all, flaws and all, perceived flaws in all societies perceived flaws because bodies can look great at any age um they were reporting highly enjoyable sex you know great relationships even if they were single they were out dating and having a great time then you had another set of women who who were very hard on themselves and negative it's like oh my god my breasts don't look the way they should you know myself in a fat stomach and ever since the kids have got stretch marks got this i've got that you know who and words like you know i'm a dried up old you know like who wants to dry up old women if i heard that once it was like where does this come from it's awful and surprise surprise those women were having dreadful sex or no sex at all they couldn't stop spectating you know when you're above yourself and looking down and rather than being in the moment they were just thinking how awful they looked and that was the a really overriding thing in the book is that no matter what's happening to your body you know in terms of aging or menopause attitude trumped everything it is you, you can find solutions if you want to keep having great sex you will keep having great sex because you will find a solution to every problem because there are solutions and i think a lot of this you know with women particularly a lot of their you know low desire close to certain age is little to do with hormones and a lot to do with not being able to, to look at themselves and appreciate the beauty because they don't look young anymore yeah or they don't fit society's ideal of, of what sexy is supposed to look like and you know it was just ridiculous and, and a friend of mine put it beautifully she said i said to her how do you feel sexy these days and she said in the old days sexy to me was like squeezing myself into tight jeans and heels and loads of makeup and she said now i feel sexy if my skin's glowing if i've done some yoga if i look healthy if i look strong that is sexy so we need to redefine sexy as well as what we think of as sex. And you know, Tracy, we're here at Hedonism in Jamaica, and it is a uh, one of the world's most iconic adult playgrounds. And everybody here who wants to get naked can get naked, and most people do Good, get naked. Yeah. Not everybody here swings. Fifty percent of the people here, I just come for a great erotic experience. But what we find here is that once people take off their clothes, there's no materialism, there's no judging, there's no shaming, and everybody is just happy for who they are and who they're here with. And, and, and feel that freedom that of being freedom. naked on the beach, in the water, around people, where you don't have to explain why you have your stretch marks and why you have your yeah. scars or your whatever it and at night be. at night everybody can dress up as sexy as they want there are millionaires and billionaires here and people who scrape up for 10 years to come here and it doesn't matter because when we're all naked there's there's nothing mm -hmm. but you and your personality mm -hmm. and there are people who uh, might not be um who might be shamed in regular society because how they look and over here mm -hmm. they're just wonderful loving amazing people do you know, um, I interviewed, one of the women that I interviewed was a, a swinger and she'd been swinging for years. And she said the best, she used to really worry about her body before she went swinging. And she said there is nothing better than being naked and having, you know, a whole heap of strangers looking at you and desiring you. And and they've all got different body types and right. you've got, you know, and she just said, she just found it the, the most body affirming exercise that she'd ever had. Absolutely. Because yeah only ever shown her body to one person at a time if that person rejects it it's a big deal but if you're in a room i suppose with loads of people and some people look at you and some people don't that's you know you, you're getting way more feedback yeah absolutely and it is definitely a confidence builder being here being naked walking around whether people are looking at you or not like you might not want people to be looking at you and but it's not they're not like looking at you like a piece of meat they're looking right. at you as hey how are you what are you up to today what do you feel like doing hey let's go in the ocean let's go in the pool it's not about if you've got nice tits well, i'm going to go with you if you don't have nice tits then no forget it and i move on and every, it's not like that at all every person is unique yeah there's yeah. every cock is different all the tits are different all the pussies are different and, and i would say they define sexy differently each absolutely. person so i think that's yeah 
it's which is exactly what we should be working towards and we would have much less body image problems yeah. yeah yeah so so in your book you talk about the six truths about sex that will never change and and it's a really good discussion but just let's take two or three of them and discuss your favorites um, I think one of my favorites is that sex isn't something that comes naturally because I over and over over the years and it's not changed regardless of age of the person the amount of people who say I don't need a book or you know well I wouldn't need to ask my partner I, I just know what she wants and it's kind of where did this concept come in that you're just born naturally knowing about sex it's, it's you know we learn and educate ourselves on everything else in our lives why do we think that sex is you know, animals do it, sure, but that's the basics. You know, sure, we all know how to do sex in the sense of putting something in, you know, the other being penetrated or, you know, penetrating, but everything else is something that you, you know, you need to be educated on if you want to be good at it. You know, sexual response system, somebody who knows all about the body and how it works is bound to be a better lover than somebody who hasn't got a clue. How would you figure out what the clitoris is for if you, if you weren't educated? I mean, that's not, that's not exactly, you know, women's bodies didn't come with a very good roadmap, did they? Or an obvious, this is the place you need to be stimulating. You'd never find it if you right. didn't know it was there. So I find that one of my things is that sex isn't something that comes naturally. And the other thing is um, one of the most, which we talked about here, is that one of the most powerful aphrodisiacs is being desired. There is, and you mentioned that, David, actually, and I think we've, we've touched on this all the way through. There is nothing more amazingly arousing than standing in front of somebody who really, really, really wants to have sex with you. That is more important than orgasms. It's more important than technique. It's more important than anything in the world. And I think that people forget that. And I think that particularly husbands, males, uh, are not so good at, they, they tend to give bland compliments like, you know, oh, you look lovely, darling. I don't want you to say I look lovely. I want you to say you look hot, you look muscly, you look like whatever you, whatever's your thing, you know. You look sexy. I just want to have sex with you right now. You know, that is really important. And and I think that, and it's also hard to keep going the longer you've been together because you probably aren't looking with that naked desire in your eyes. But I think that is really, really important that if you, are giving compliments to your partner, don't forget to give sexual compliments about how sexy they are. Because I think it's not only you look gorgeous, you're beautiful, you're this. Sexy is really important. Yesterday, I, yesterday I gave you a compliment. I said, babe, that it looks so amazing when you had those two cocks in your mouth. Okay, thank you, honey. And I was watching, Carol was giving a double blow job and, and that was, wasn't thank, that a nice compliment? Oh yes, nice compliment. You're doing a great job. So Tracy, one of the things I want to add, I'm just going to ignore David's note there. What? One, one of the things I wanted to add to what you just said was that, um, Gosh, you made me lose my thought. One second, I'm going to come. You're thinking about those two cocks in your mouth. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, here here it is. Okay. So one of the things I just want to add to what you said was that um, I just want to point out that when men compliment their wife on how sexy she looks, it's not just because he wants to fuck her right on that second. I, I don't like getting a compliment only when my husband's horny and then he wants to fuck me. I want him to say I'm beautiful or sexy all parts of the day, not just to get into my pants. So that's what I'm saying. It's not the foreplay of getting into my pants and saying, oh my gosh, you look hot and sexy right now. I want him to say that throughout the day or at any given moment, not just when he wants to have sex. How do I rate on that? You're pretty good at that, baby. Yes. But you're horny all the time. But anyways. But but you're so beautiful. It's so easy to compliment you. But, you know, like last night, um, we were going out and your skin was glowing. We were out in the sun all day. Someone gave you a beautiful massage with coconut oil. And I just looked at you and you were just glowing. And it wasn't about having sex. It was just being so thankful and grateful that you were my wife. You were my partner. Thank you. That's perfect. Nice example. Are you just trying to out the beach and the coconut oil and the sunshine and here I am in London in lockdown. Thanks so much. <laughs> we're really sorry for you, Tracy, but we're happy for us. <laughs> but that is lovely, and that and you're dead right. It can't be. I mean, it's so obvious if you want sex to say, "Oh, you look, you know, look at your bum, isn't it great?" And then suddenly you, you know, you're initiating sex. You have to say it all the time and notice little things like glowing skin. You know, that is exactly. So you got it right, David. On the money for that. On the money for that, lucky guy. Yay me. Yeah. You pulled me out from under the bus that you threw me under before. <laughs> that's okay, and now baby. We're sitting together. You know, again. you like to be real, and that's what it's all about Absolutely. being real. Being real. That was another great segment. Thanks so much for all that information. Just to remind you that this is a sexy lifestyle. We are Carol and David. We're having an amazing discussion with sex educator and writer Tracy Cox coming up. 
Coming up next is our favorite segment, Great Sex Matters. But first, a shout out to another one of our show sponsors. So stay right there. Yeah, we're not going very far. We're going to talk about hedonism, where we are right now. You know we've spoken about it. It's one of our favorite places to hang naked on the beach. And it is the sexiest place on earth where you can be as mild or as wild as you like. Um, as we've been mentioning, we escaped winter. We've been here since January 15th. We've been on location. We've been naked. We've been doing our shows naked. We're not doing it naked right now, but we will do a couple tomorrow. Um, and if you have nothing to do, come on down to Jamaica. You know, uh, everybody here has to test negative before they come down. Um, it is absolutely fantastic. We've had a couple of guests who are have been po- uh, guests on our podcast. And uh, so many people here are actually extending because it's safe and yeah. a great place to chill during the winter. And of course, this is our away office. So we is. always say if we can work from home, then you can work from Hito. And that's what we're doing here all winter long. So join us. Get naked on the beach. And you just have to go to our website, thesexylifestyle.com. Click on the Hito link and book your sexiest and most erotic vacation ever. Absolutely. So, um you know, you've been listening to the show. You know we're Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. Every show we end where we get to talk about great sex because... Great sex matters, and we all deserve it. So, Tracy, let's get back to some of the points about great sex. Some people think that young sex is better sex. What do you have to say about that? I absolutely disagree. I think it's just different sex. It's not, it just looks differently. I mean, young sex is all about, you know, lots of frenetic thrusting and it's, it's very much based on that, isn't it? Whereas older sex is slower, more touch-based, more erotic. So no, it's not better or worse. It's just different. Oh, well, when I was younger, I could not imagine anybody over 30 having sex. And when I'm thinking about when I was a teenager, when I first discovered sex, I thought 30 was like the cutoff. If you haven't had your babies and done your stuff, then you were not going to be having sex after 30. And I'm telling you, I had that view for quite a while. I would probably say till I was like 20, 22. And it's just not the case. And I'm so thankful that we hope to have sex in our 90s if Absolutely. we're still healthy enough to do so. Our sex life took off when we turned 50. Yeah. No really? joke. I mean, there's books out there. We've done shows, Sex Over 50. Wait, wait. That's what her book is. Great I Sex know. Starts at 50. And we, we attest to that. <laughs> That's we right. She got married at 50. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, we got married at 50. And I don't know, Tracy, is it a mindset where you're no longer in that maternal stage? The kids are gone. You're not worried about uh, finances. You're, you're looking towards, you know, enjoying retirement, <laughs> retirement and you, you're not building your career. You know, is that clear mind? Does that help people over 50 have better sex? does but I, I think it depends on how you approach over 50 because i approach it very much the way you do with all the all the good things like this has been my best time post 50 because i think before i was i was quite people pleasy i think especially with sex more worried about you know well do they think this or am i looking good or and now it's it's a lot i'm a lot more selfish mm-hmm. but also i'm i'm less i'm more content less competitive less so all the things that come with age that i used to look at and think oh my god the word content was contemptuous to me I mean, some of these, I remember my first husband saying, I feel really content, and I looked at him, and, and I swear to God, that was the nail in the coffin of that marriage. It was like, I don't want to be content. Mm-hmm. Who wants to be content? But now I am content. It's like, <laughs> yeah, that's a good thing to be content, actually, to have achieved and got there. But I suppose if you're if you're over 50 and you haven't achieved your goals and you're not in a great place, and but I mean, you can still do something. You can get up and leave and start a new life, and that. Actually, they were some of the happiest women I spoke to that had got to that stage and thought, you know what, I've done everything for the kids. I'm sick of this relationship. And then just got off and, and found someone new. I found a new life. So, um, but young sex, I mean, look, you can't take away from the field of young sex. It's, it's, it's great. And it's great for so many different reasons because you have a lot of firsts when you're young, don't you? But I don't think it's better than older sex, though. No. What's very interesting in the swinging lifestyle is the average age of a swinger is like 45. Well, and, 45 to 60, I think. Yeah. yeah. But what we're finding and what we've seen over the many years, the 13 years we've been in the lifestyle, is that couples um, who are mature in their relationships are looking to do something a little different. And we, mm-hmm. we use the word lifestyle and not swinging because swinging is a piece of the lifestyle. 
but there are couples here who don't play with other couples, but they go to the playroom and they just want to have great sex in a room where other people are having sex. Or they want to watch. They want to be ex- exhibitionists. And it's things that they never would have thought about in their 20s or 30s. But now because they're more mature, more uh, solid in their relationships, they can go out there and explore their sexuality a lot more. And um, the the older couples who swing, and there were couples here a couple of weeks ago who were in their 70s. And it's so cool. It's like, we want to be those guys yeah. when we get older. Yeah, bloody hell. And I think people forget about stuff like this, is that you don't have to go to a swinging club and actually do anything. Right. You can just go and watch. And I know that some clubs don't like it, or some places don't like it, but I think most I mean, you tell me, would most clubs have a problem if you just said, no, you know, no, just... no, 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 not at all. No, no problem at all. That's part of it because you can't be an exhibitionist if you don't have any voyeurs watching. And so many people get <laughs> off on being exhibitionists. That's what turns them on. They don't necessarily want to share their partners, but they sure want to have great sex in front of other people. And that's their thrill. That's their passion. We were in the playroom the other night and we were having great sex in a little orgy. And there was this new newbie couple, yeah. an older couple. They were in their 50s and sh- they were just watching and she pulled down his pants and started giving him a blowjob. And they had an amazing time just the two of them Mm -hmm. with sex going on around them and there's nothing wrong with that no 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 for sure not because i think one of the hardest things is keeping sex fresh and exciting in a long-term relationship and and i really applaud people who i mean one lady that i interviewed she had her first orgasm at i think age 17 with her partner and she was still having them now in her 70s with the same partner i thought god that's good going that is no other partners on the side or anything and um and i think that is an extraordinary achievement to still be having great sex with the same person year in year out for that long because i think that is that is a big call and the reason why it's a big call is that we're not actually meant to be with the same person forever we are meant to be having partners discarding and getting on with the you know the next one producing you know with sex is not for recreation it's for procreation according to you know evolution but um but of course you know we, we've changed all that and it is possible but that i thought that was pretty good achievement i mean i'm sure there are loads of couples out there who can say that i don't know whether how many couples can say i'm sure lots of people can say they love their partner I don't know how many people can say I've been together since 17 so having really hot sex. Wow. Well, we do see a lot of couples who are very long-term couples here in the swinging lifestyle, but then they've added the passion by either yeah, sharing yeah. their partners or coming to places like this. Yeah. But what I wanted to say was that um, we change. Uh, as a person, you change throughout your, your career, throughout your life. Uh, as your kids get older, you change. And so if we are able to like kind of put on different hats as we age, you almost become a different new person. And that's sometimes what keeps it fresh and exciting for those couples who have been together for so long. You might have changed your career, now you're doing something different, and you might feel a little bit different, and so now you're having sex in a little different way. Your body changes, and that's a little bit different. Now we have to look at how are we going to adapt to that, and so it's kind of like having sex with different people throughout the time, but it's the same love or the same person that you're totally in love with, so that's kind of interesting. Beautifully put, actually. That's exactly what happens, isn't it? Yeah. Is that no one stays the same? And so you, you might have. Oh, sorry. Why don't you girls talk about how orgasms have changed over the years as you aged? Well, I want to hear what Tracy has to say. What, how has your orgasm changed since you've turned fifty? Well, mine became different because estrogen is a sort of big baddie in menopause. Because when that goes, blood circulation becomes less strong, and it is all about blood flow. Everything's about blood flow. So what happens then is that you become less sensitive, and your orgasms become can feel less intense. But again, and that did happen to me, but again, you just have to go, okay, right. So that just means that you need more stimulation, harder stimulation, firmer stimulation, maybe more stimulation in different parts at the same time. So, and now it's just exactly back up to what it was before. But it, so I think the whole thing that I want to get across here is that you, you've got to just accept that so there's, there's not much you can do. You can take HRT, sure, but some people can't take HRT. There are certain things that you just have to accept are going to happen to you, no matter what. You know, like what's that saying? You know, nothing's sure in life than death and taxes. Well, your body's going to age at some point, no matter how much you fight it, it is going to age, and your genitals are going to age along with it, and you are going to go through menopause whether you like it or not. And so the more we talk about this, the more we talk about this with our partners, the more we accept it's happened to us, there are solutions, and yes, orgasms you know can be less less sensitive. I, I, I feel a bit numb. 
You know, even a nose prick, it's just when you don't go to the limit, it's like, God, I can't even feel what I'm doing. But it's kind of felt like that. It's like, what's going on here? Um, but it went. And the more, again, the more you have sex, the more it increases the blood flow again. And it sort of just happened for a little period and then went again. And that's the other thing that I wanted to say is that menopause isn't the rest of your life. It's a blip. You've got to get through it like you did two years. With me, it was probably two years and a bit. And then you come out the other side. And some people don't even have a bad time. Mm-hmm. They just skate. So, you know, there's there's always, a, it doesn't, you, at no point is there something that's going to come along that's going to make you say, I can't have great sex now with my partner. And God knows, I did a whole thing with um, people who were in, um, called the brittle, who had brittle bones disease, which is absolutely awful disease where even if they sneeze, they can break a rib. These people that I was talking to, they were in wheelchairs, they could hardly breathe, and they were in there listening to me tell them how it, how they could make it possible to have sex, which makes our little you know things about oh I feel fat today, or I'm too tired, <laughs> right? Fell into insignificance. Yeah. So you know, and that I always think about that, and I think God, you know, come on. Now, one of the things I liked when you said earlier is, is really it's about the attitude that you have when you're going through this whole process, which is going to happen anyways at, at, at some point in time. And I like to share David's attitude and how he changed his attitude when I was going through menopause because he kind of felt disappointed every time I didn't want to have sex or I couldn't muster even some energy to have sex with him that night. And he changed his attitude to be grateful every time we did have sex. And I like that you shared that with me, you know, last year when, you know, he was telling somebody on our show what he was going through. And I keep remembering that. And so his attitude change is what kept us going. And today, like, uh, I think that that's how it is now, right? We're just grateful for having the sex we do have. And for those days that he has that rock hard cock and I get to jump on it and the same days that I, I feel hot and horny, he's happy. So we're grateful for the sex that we do have at this age. And that's what you got to keep shooting for. And it does change almost like month over month. And the same way, you know, you don't come the same way you used to come and you your orgasms are more intense and they take a little longer but we need more lube and I it takes different things to get my cock hard you know you evolve as a couple and um, that's what Tracy was saying that's that, that couple who's been having great sex for 70 years hell yeah I want to be there yeah, yeah for sure <laughs> and that is exactly the attitude to have is and it also who cares I mean who cares if your orgasm takes a bit longer to achieve I mean why, why are we in such a rush to finish exactly. orgasm? Yeah. People really see that as such a negative. It's like, well, it takes me longer to orgasm. Now I'm like, great. You know, orgasm's a tiny, tiny amount of time, aren't they? The, the journey is what it's all about. Right. So there's nothing to complain about, really. That's why yeah. foreplay is so important. Yeah, absolutely. So we're coming to the end of our show. I know it just flew by, but uh, we always like to leave our show with a little bit of advice. Um, so I'm going to ask you, what are the two of the four things that you talk about that will revolutionize your sex life? Number one is manage your expectations. Um, I think that if you if you you're going to go through life and thinking that the sex you have when you're 20 is going to be the sex you know that's the only definition of good sex, then you're going to be horribly disappointed. So if you manage your expectations about not expecting that you're going to have sex like you did at the start for the rest of your life, that's another thing that gets me going. It's because it's impossible. Um, and just just have a very clear idea of what's achievable and then you won't, you know, don't fall for the TV myth of sex or the, you know, the sex you see on movies. It is not real sex or the sex you see in porn. Um, the other thing I would say is that um, spontaneous sex is overrated. I think everybody's so hung up on it. It's got to be spontaneous. We can't plan it. You know, there can't be any planning at all. And people forget that in the beginning when they so, you know, had all this fantastic sex, it was because they were planning. They were working out what to wear, where we're going to go, making sure the bedroom looked great. Of course you were planning sex. You know, you have to plan sex unless you're going to do the same sex all the time, which is going to be so boring. So I think, you know, anticipation is a great sort of substitute for spontaneity. Absolutely. Well... That was amazing. We've come to the end of our show. Uh, Tracy, we are going to reserve the right to welcome you back on another show later on in the year to do something different. But for now, um, thanks so much for sharing all that amazing information. Thank you for writing that great book for people over 50. Why don't you take a minute, tell everyone how they can find you online, your website, social media, and of course, where they can find your amazing books. Okay, um, the books are sold. It's called Great Sex Starts at 50, and my name is Cox with an X, C-O-X. <laughs> Everyone always asks me that. Um, 
my my, um, my website, which is tracycox.com, so it's T-R-A-C-E-Y-C-O-X.com, has got um, all the my Twitter, my Facebook, my Instagram handles on there. So you can, you can contact me through there. That's the easiest way. And of course, if you missed any of that information, you can just go to our website, thesexylifestyle.com, where every one of our guests has their own guest page with all their information. And you even can contact them with your questions directly from there. Yeah, you know, I learned a ton today and we do every week with all our amazing expert guests. We hope our listeners do as well. Um, if they have any questions, they can always send us an email at ask at carolandavid.com. So that's it for our show, but please remember to stay safe and healthy and follow all the suggested protocols issued by your local health authorities. Remember to wash your hands, avoid touching your face, practice social distancing, and please wear a mask. And when your turn comes up, get your vaccination as soon as possible. Absolutely. Wow. That's the end of another great show with another amazing guest, Tracy Cox. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And, of course, we want to thank all our listeners for being there week in and week out. And join us again next time for another hour of The Sexy Lifestyle, talking about sex, sexuality, sexual health and pleasure, and all the fun ways to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny. Well, that's it for our show today. Carol and I send you lots of love and great sex. Please stay safe and, of course, stay sexy, everyone. Until next time. Thank you for joining Carol and David for this week's edition of The Sexy Lifestyle. We've got another one lined up next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is just around the corner, so try something new, spice it up, and you just might have the best sex ever. 